Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Salt to Soul. It's great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And we want to start out today discussing one of the great leaders of Torah Jewry um, in the last uh, hundred years, and that was the great and holy Chazan Ish. Last week, the 15th of Cheshvan, was the Yod site of the Chazan Ish. And the Chazan Ish, Chazan Ish is actually the name of his Sefer, his work. So we refer to him by the name of his magnus opus called Chazan Ish. His full name was Avraham Yeshaya Karalitz, and he was born on the 7th of November, 1878, and died on the 15th of Cheshvan, 1953. And he was, by the time he died, the um, most respected halachic authority and the leader of the religious Jewish community in Eretz Israel. He was born in Grodno, in, at the time, it's today it's Belarus, at the time it was part of the Russian Empire, um, as we mentioned in 1878. He, uh, his father was Shmiryahu Yosef Karalitz, and he was the Rov of their town called Kosava, um, in Belarus, in Grodno. And, um, he, he had, uh, his older brother was Meir, his younger brothers were Yitzchak and Moshe Yitzchak, Succeeded their father as the rabbi of the town And uh, Yitzchak together with his wife and daughter Were murdered by the Nazis in 1941 When they occupied um, Eastern Europe And the, the, the Operation Barbarossa They went into Russia uh, His younger sister Pesha Miriam Was married to Rav Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky That's the stipler going who too was, after the Chazanish died, took over the mantle as the leader and foremost halachic authority within the religious world. And they were very, very close. In fact, the Stapta writes that the Chazanish, Rav Avram Yeshaya, was his mentor, was his rebbe, um, until he, until the Chazanish passed away. He, as a youth, he went to learn by Rav Chaim Kanievsky in uh, the, uh, sorry, Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, um, in Brisk. He studied there for two years, didn't really take on the brisker method of learning um, Torah, and he returned back to his father. Um, his father was, as I mentioned, the Rov and the Abbasdin, um, and then he got married, and in 1920, together with his wife, um, whose name was Basha Bey, um, they went to Vilna, and he remained in Vilna for the next 13 years. He became very close to Rav Chaim Ozegrzynski, and uh, at the advice and insistence of Rav Chaim Oizer, and together with the help of Rav Avram Yitzchak Kuk, he emigrated to Eretz Yisrael in 1933. And for the next 20 years of his life, he became the uh, leader of uh, religious Jews in the land of Israel and Eretz Yisrael. And he was renowned for his hasmada, his tremendous dedication to the learning of Torah, and for his um, complete devotion to Klaishot, to the Jewish people, and to the study of Torah day and night. Um, 
he, although he was the worldwide authority recognized as the leader of the religious Jewish world, um, he never had a formal position as a rabbi, never had, had an official position, um, but that didn't make any difference. And uh, he was sought after by Jews the world over um, to ask for his advice, for ask, ask for his halachic opinion and his psak, his uh, halachic understanding of many different aspects of life, both in Eretz Israel and throughout the Jewish world. And uh, he was actually a person who was highly respected in all um, aspects of Israeli society. David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, went to see him um, when the state of Israel was declared in 1948. So there were many different issues that had to be resolved and many different aspects that the religious world had to uh, had to work out. And so Ben-Gurion went to see the Chazanish as the leader of the religious world. And the Chazanish quoted to him, very, it was a very famous incident when Ben-Gurion went to see him. Um, there was a certain impasse with regards to um, some aspects of religious society and the Chazan Ish said to Ben-Gurion, you need to give way to the will of the religious community. And he quoted to him famous Gomorrah in Sanhedrin, on Daf uh, Lamad Beis, Lamad Beis, where the Gomorrah talks about two camels. And if the two camels are coming to a narrow pathway where one has to give way to the other, so the halacha is that the camel that has a heavy load would go first. And the camel with the lighter load, would have to wait for the camel with heavier load. That's the halacha. And so the Chazanesh said to Ben-Gurion, so we as the observant religious community are carrying a load. We're carrying a big, rich, rich and significant load of Jewish tradition that is thousands of years old. And therefore, you who are uh, representing a new um, part of the Jewish world, the, the beginning of our Jewish state, so you need to give way to the religious community in, in these issues. And uh, then Ben-Gurion was, was uh, quite moved by his meeting with the Chazanish, so the legend goes, and uh, he agreed with him. And he allowed the requests of the Chazanish to be fulfilled. And his aides, Ben-Gurion's aides said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you giving way to this old man? Um, we now are building a new uh, Israel, a new Jewish people. And he said, don't worry. In a few years, none of them will be left. None of these religious Jews will be around. And uh, we will be able to mold Israeli society um, according to our will. And we see how wrong Ben-Gurion was and how the religious community has developed and grown, has actually thrived within Israel and is continuing to grow. Kain Yerbu, so may it continue. There's another famous uh, story of the Chazanesh. That he, he, one year he received an esrog, and obviously it was an esrog. Uh, when it comes to Sukkot, so there's a mitzvah which is called Arba Minim. We have a mitzvah from the Torah to take four different species and to uh, wave them, say a blessing over them and wave them. It's a, it's a very important mitzvah that Jews go to great length to uh, fulfill and ensure that they do it properly. One of the concerns with an esrog which is the pre-Eitzada, which is a fruit from a beautiful, a beautiful fruit from the tree, from a beautiful tree, um, is a, a, one may, has to make sure that it's a pure species and the species has not been grafted. There's no other species that has been mixed in with this fruit, with this esrog. And so, um, that's very important that the, that one, when one buys the esrog, it's from an orchard, which is, grows 
trees that are entirely astral trees and nothing has been grafted. No lemon shoots have been grafted together with astral because that will um, produce a, a better looking fruit and therefore the, the seller could sell it for more. So we're very concerned about that. So one year the Chazanish took his astral and took the seeds from the astral, gave it to his uh, Talmud, his main student, and said to him that um, you should go plant these seeds. And they planted the seed. He planted the seeds. Um, his Talmud is, uh, who did it was uh, um, uh, His uh, What's his first name? Um, I, don't, I don't remember. His, uh, Michal Yehuda Lefkowitz, who also became a great Gadol, who was a Talmud of Chazanesh. He planted the tree in the, and he looked after it and the tree grew. And the Chazanesh then took his esrog every year from that tree, chose one from that tree, and his brother-in-law, the stipler, did the same thing, also took an esrog from, from that tree. And uh, many others took esrog from that tree and planted from the, that tree. And therefore, you can buy a Chazanesh esrog, an esrog that came from that tree that the Chazanesh planted. So it's very famous. You, you know, if you buy a Chazanesh esrog, that's where it comes from. Um, so we'll be back in a moment with one more amazing insight of the Holy Chazanish. Please stay with us. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 Chai FM. We've been talking about the great Abraham Ishaya Karel, it's the Chazanesh, whose Yotzad it was last week. So I would like to share with you a beautiful vote, a beautiful idea of the Chazanesh. There's a famous um, story that Rav Desla, the great Rabbi Liao Desla, who was also in Bnei Brak at the same time as the Chazanesh, that's where the Chazanesh lived, he asked Rav the Chazanesh a shayla, asked him a question, not a shayla, actual question in Ashkofa. He said, in the Amidah, the silent meditation, so a religious Jew is obligated to pray three times a day, Shachris Minchamarik, morning, afternoon, and evening. And the centerpiece of the tefillah is the Amidah, is the Shemone Esrei. And in the, the weekday Shemone Esrei, so we, the first three blessings, um, are the same weekday and Shabbos and Yom Tov. And then the middle blessings in the weekday, um, are in the following order. The first one is for Das. We call it the Brocha of Bina. We ask Hashem for wisdom and for understanding. And we bless Hashem, Brochat Hashem, Chonein Hadas. The second of the middle blessings is the blessing that we call Tshuva. We ask Hashem to return us to, the, to Tshuva, to the right path, to our essence, to our purpose in this world. We say, Blessed Hashem, who wants the Tshuva, who wants the returning and the growing, constant spiritual growth of, of Klai Yisrael. And then we say the third blessing of the middle blessings is Slicha. We say, we ask Hashem for forgiveness because we have sinned and because we have strayed. And we end that blessing, Blessed you Hashem who pardons abundantly. And then the fourth of the um, weekday blessings is We ask Hashem to look at our situations and our circumstances. And we thank Hashem for redeeming us. Then we say, um, we ask Hashem for healing, Rufa Hashem of Nairafe, Hila Sashem, the Hila, Prokhat Hashem Chole, Rufa Chole Amo Yisrael, Blessed Yashem who heals the Jewish people, and then we ask Baruch Aleinu for Parnosa, Birka Sashani. So the, uh, Rav Desla asked the Chazanesh, why is it that we start out with spiritual requests? The first three are spiritual, of that of Bina of understanding, of Chuba and of Slicha, 
And then we go into the more physical requests from Hashem. We pray for our health. We pray for our sustenance. And there's a principle in the Torah of Malin Bakudish and Muridin. We go up. We usually ascend when it comes to um, spiritual issues. So the so Rav Desta said, so it should have really have doesn't it make more sense then to start asking for our physical needs and then to move into our spiritual needs? Because that's usually the pattern, that's usually the the uh the process, um, says the Gemara. So the Khazanish answered Rav Desta. And he said to him, what do you think? What is your answer? I heard this from Rabbi Biederman. He says, what do you think? So he said, well, maybe because we want Hashem to, we ask Hashem to channel our physical needs into spiritual. So we start out with spiritual requests and then we ask Hashem to channel our health and our existence and our sustenance to be used in a spiritual way. That's how Rav Desla wanted to answer. And the Chazanish said, well, really it's not a question at all because everything is Ruchnius is spiritual. And even the physical health of an individual, that's an issue of spirituality. That's a spiritual matter. And likewise, our sustenance is also a spiritual matter. It all comes directly from Hashem. So it's incorrect to say, the, the, the original premise is incorrect to say that the first three are spiritual and then we're going to physical. They're all spiritual. Everything's spiritual. It's all uh, everything that we have in our lives is the blessing that descends from on high from Hashem and we receive from the creator of the universe from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Isn't that beautiful and powerful? So even our health is purely a spiritual thing. Yes, it manifests into the, our physical bodies and the health of our bodies, but it comes, it's min HaShemayim, it comes from Hashem. And likewise, our sustenance, our pranosa, our ability to support ourselves and to earn a living is also a spiritual matter. It comes directly from Hashem. Beautiful insight and understanding of the holy Chazanish. Okay, so let's now move on and talk a little bit about um, uh, these parshios or deal with the great patriarchs and matriarchs of the Jewish people. This week we reach we read Parshas Chaya. Sarah talk about the death of Sarah and Avram's burial of his soulmate, of his wife, Sarah, Imenu. So let's talk a little bit about that. I want to start out by just mentioning a very interesting idea, which I think it leaves us with an important lesson, an important understanding of life. We see in last week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayera, so Abraham is, um, is suffering after he has his brismil at 99 years old. Hashem sends the three uh, Arabs that um, are actually Malachim, are angels, but in the form of human beings. Abraham uh, welcomes them, and and uh, he and Sarah uh, uh, provide for them and, and treat them like absolute kings. The hospitality is quite unbelievable. And uh, the Torah goes to great lengths to describe how far Abraham and Sarah go in order to look after these guests that they welcome into their tent. And um, then the Torah tells us that they actually are Malachim, they're angels, each one with its own mission. One is coming to destroy Stom, one is coming to save Lot, and the other one, Raphael, is coming to heal Abraham and to tell Abraham and Sarah that Abraham is going to conceive and have a, have a child. And um, upon uh, performing its shlichus, the Malach, upon performing its mission that Hashem had set out for it to do, so, and uh, tells Abraham and Sarah that Sarah is going to conceive. Sarah is 90 years old. And the Torah says, 
um, Sarah Bakirba, that Sarah laughed inside. And, um, and Hashem says to Abraham that, you know, Sarah laughed. Why did she laugh? And Sarah then says, well, I didn't laugh. And Hashem said, you did laugh. It's quite an interesting episode and dialogue that we see in the Torah. And it's very perplexing, difficult to understand because we know that Abraham and Sarah were the prototype of, um, of Emuna, of belief in Hashem. Abraham and Sarah dedicated their lives to bringing this message of monotheism to the world. And they um, taught the world, Abraham taught the men, Sarah taught the woman, about God, about a single benevolent creator that is obvious and clear for all of us to see. And even in the 21st century, even for all of us, um, 4,000 years later, so we can clearly see that there must have been there is a benevolent creator. No question about it. It's obvious and clear. It's the most clear, simple, elementary conclusion um, that we should all come to from the world around us and from the lives that we live and from the miracles of our bodies, that there must be a creator. It's so obvious and clear. And uh, that perfect creator cries out to us with the beauty of nature the perfection of the world and the perfection of the human body. So Avram and Sarah came to that conclusion and they dedicated their lives to sharing that knowledge and understanding with other human beings, teaching the world about monotheism, and they are therefore the beginnings of Klai Israel, the mother and father of the Jewish people. And so how could it be that Sarah, who is the paradigm of emunah of faith and understanding of God, that she laughs when God says you're going to conceive and have a child. Um, it's difficult to understand. So one of the explanations I heard, which I think is very beautiful, I heard it from Rabbi Michal Tversky of Milwaukee. And Rabbi Tversky explains and he says that Sarah wasn't laughing that she didn't believe that, Hash, that she could conceive and Hashem could perform a miracle. She was laughing that Hashem would perform a miracle for her. She was laughing at herself. When it says the Tishak Sarah Bakirba, she laughed. She didn't laugh. Uh, one interpretation is she laughed quietly, like uh, inwardly. Bakirba means she laughed at her innards. She laughed at herself. How can God perform a miracle with this body? She was post-menopause. She was 90 years old. How? Not that God can do it. Of course, God can do it. God can do. God is the creator of the world. God can do anything. But how could it be through me? How could I be worthy of such a nice, of such a miracle? How she knew herself, she knew her spiritual level, and she felt that it was laughable to think that God would perform such a miracle for her and through her. And then God criticizes her for laughing because God is telling her, don't doubt yourself. Don't sell yourself short. You may think that you're not worthy, but you may, you're more worthy than you think. And uh, and therefore, that was the lesson that the Torah is teaching us. And it's a very important lesson for all of us, is that we shouldn't doubt ourselves. We shouldn't doubt our capacity and our ability. Yes, we know ourselves. And yes, we know our level. And yes, we know, you know, maybe to what, what uh, you know, what, what, what the things that we've done and the choices that we've made. But we should nevertheless not doubt ourselves and understand that within all of us, there's a godly soul. There's what we call Tzelem Elohim, a spark of the divine. And we all have 
an infinite capacity. We all live forever. Our soul doesn't die. It's only the body that dies. It goes back to the ground from where it came. But the soul lives on. The soul lives for eternity. And the soul has infinite potential and capacity. And we need to tap into that part of our being. Unfortunately, the way most of us live our lives is that we live a life of physicality. We live a life of materialism. We live a life that's engaged in the single dimensional aspect of our physical existence in this world. But we have within us a spark of God, a Tzalem Elohim, that is eternal. And we need to connect to that part of our being. We need to see it and connect to it and understand what our essence is. And unfortunately in our world we see so many people lack self-esteem and the plague of our, of the modern world, of modern society is this lack of self-worth and lack of self-esteem. But if we appreciated that we are all created in the image of God, but Elohim, with the spark of the divine, so we would understand that we have such tremendous potential and such greatness inside that we wouldn't doubt ourselves. So that's the lesson that Hashem is teaching us with this episode of Sarah, is that within that holy soul, we have great potential, and it could be we God could um, perform miracles through us and through our divine soul, and that we should never doubt ourselves. And it's really um, doesn't stop over there. Because once we recognize the divine soul within ourselves, so then, too, we see that divine soul in others. And we see the greatness in other human beings. And we are able to relate to others in a loving, respectful, um, and, uh, and a way, a manner, in which we are able to uplift others up, but not push others down. Um, unfortunately, our level of tolerance is very low, and anybody who's like slightly different to us or or thinks in a slightly different way has different opinions, so we have very little time and tolerance for such individuals. But when we relate to a person from the point of view that they have a telemelokim, there's a godly soul, they are a, a soul that lives forever, that has infinite potential, so that will enable us to rise above our differences and to treat others with dignity and with love, and with respect, and to help lift others, and help them see their greatness, and their inner uh, potential. And that's really, um, we, that's what we spoke about last week, when we discussed the chesed of Avram and Sarah. The chesed of Avram and Sarah was of a nature that they saw the godly soul in others, and they uplifted others, in order that they would appreciate their own godly soul. That's why they treated these three strangers, these three Arabs, in such an incredible way. They went above and beyond. It wasn't just simply fulfilling a need of welfare, but rather it was lifting an individual, a human being, and helping them see that they're a king, that they're a melech, that they're a malka, they're a king or a queen with this divine godly soul within them. That was what was motivating the chesed, the kindness of Abraham and Sarah. And it is a three-step process. First, we have to see God in the world. We have to understand that there is this all-powerful, omnipotent, benevolent creator, which is so obvious and clear. We just have to open our eyes to the world around us. Then we see that godly soul within us and realize we're not just a physical being who's going to leave this world and it's over then. And that's, you know, that's the end. There's nothing more. Not at all. 
that's uh, this life, this short life, which goes so quickly, is just one phase in the process, in the journey, in the life of the soul, which lives forever. The soul is eternal. The soul will never die. And so when we see that godly soul within us, we realize that that's the essence of our being. That's who we are. We are not a body. We are not what we look like. We are not our physical being. That's a small aspect of who we are. That is just the clothing, the housing of the soul. Our, our essence is our soul. And when we see that within ourselves, we see our tremendous and infinite potential and the greatness that lies within ourselves. And then we can see that in others. Then we can spot that in others. Then we can relate to others in a way that they too are a divine soul. And we do our best to uplift others and not to minimize them and uh, and uh, lift ourselves over them, but rather to lift them up and enable others to see their greatness and their godliness and their tremendous potential. So it's a beautiful insight into that episode and into what we are and who we um how we uh, relate to life and what we do as ourselves, what we do with our choices that we have in this world. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. I wanted to mention that last week was Pasha's Vayera. We just spoke about the beautiful idea about Sarah and uh, her dialogue with God that's recorded in last week's Pasha. And last week was also the Shabbos project. And it was just so incredible to see um, the participation, both in South Africa and internationally, of the, incre- of the amazing Shabbos project. And this is the ninth year that the chief rabbi has run the Shabbos project. And uh, not only has he achieved tremendous success here in South Africa with it, but it's, it is a worldwide campaign, a worldwide project. And thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of Jews are touched by the incredible Shabbos project. And the chief rabbi um, said that they were concerned this year after Yom Tov, you know, with COVID and people just emerging out of the lockdowns, um, how much participation would there be? And in fact, the, this past Shabbos was a record in terms of the numbers of communal unity events that took place around the world. There were over 1,100, 1,100 communal events that took place on the Shabbos project, which is quite unbelievable and uh, really is uh, incredible how the Shabbos project has galvanized so many hundreds of thousands of Jews um, to connect to our tradition, to connect to the holiness of Shabbos, and to try and participate in some way in Hashem's holy day. Um, our community, the Sunny Road Kehillah, we had a wonderful Shabbos last week. We had a beautiful, um, firstly we had a walk, a, a beautiful walk around Glen Hazel, in which many, many people participated in. And then we um, had a picnic uh, on our campus, on the grass, under the trees, uh, for Shalasudas, and it was really a beautiful atmosphere. It was a very large participation. In fact, the chief rabbi was there and told us about the Shabbos project and what's been happening, and it really was a powerful experience that we concluded with a musical Havdola, um, which was also very moving and very powerful. So 
a big Yasha Koyach to our chief rabbi. We all should be so proud of him and the incredible uh, project that he's turned into an international event um, and something he works very hard at it and he's been incredibly successful, which brings us all great pride and joy. So this week's parsha, this Shabbos we read Chaya Sarah as I mentioned earlier. And in Chaya Sarah, um, we uh, are, um, it talks about the beginning of the parsha discusses Abraham's purchase of the field from the local people who were living in that area. And uh, he, he bars this cave, which is called Marata Machpela. Ma'ara is a cave, Machpela means double. It's a cave that had a few different stories, a few different um, levels to it. And we know that um, our tradition teaches us Abraham, uh, sorry, that uh, Adam and Chava were buried in that cave. And then Abraham purchases the uh, cave from the Bnei Ches. And um, in the, the first 16 psukim of this week's Pasha deal with Abraham's discussions and negotiations with Bnei Ches. And um, he, he uh, negotiates with Ephron, who was the owner of the land. And he says, it's very interesting, within that dialogue, the mention of burying the dead, burying my deceased, is mentioned seven different times. Uh, that he, that, um, that comes up. Likbor es meisi, kavor es meisecha, is other phrases in Hebrew. It's mentioned seven times. And the Vulna Goen points out a very, very interesting thing. The Vulna Goen says that, um, the seven times that burying, uh, the dead is mentioned corresponds to the seven different individuals that were buried in the, in Machpelah. We know that Abram and Sarah so Abram brought the, the cave in, or bought the cave in order to bury Sarah. And then Yitzchak and Rivka, Yitzchak, Abram and Sarah's son, and his wife Rivka were buried in the cave. And their son Yaakov and his wife Leah are buried in Machpelah, which is in Hebron. In fact, the Shabbos, there's a minhag, there's a custom. Many thousands um, go to Hebron and go to Marata Machpelah because it's this week's Pasha that discusses the purchase of that land. Um, and uh, so we see that there are three couples, six individuals that are buried there. And then there's also a seventh. But the Vulnagon points out an amazing thing. He says that it always says, Likbor es meisi, kavor es meisecha. It always mentions the bearing and then the dead person after the bearing. The first six times it mentions it. And the seventh time it mentions it, it says, Ve'es meisecha kebor. It changes the order and it says, And let my dead be buried. Over there. Why is the order changed? And the Vulnagon explains very brilliantly. He says the following. He says that the, the, um, he, he, he explains with the incident of the burial of the head of Asaph. What happened? Um, when Yaakov died, remember Yosef was in Mitzrayim. He was the viceroy of Egypt and his father Yaakov, Jacob, dies. And Yosef now, um, asks permission of Paro to take his father. He said that I promised my father I would bury him in Eretz Yisrael in, uh, with his ancestors together with his uh, uh, parents and grandparents um, Yitzchak and Rivka and Avram and Sarah. And uh, Paro gives him permission and he goes back to Machpelah and um, uh, uh, Yosef's there together with his brothers and they go, they're about to bury their father. And Esav, their father's brother, the uncle suddenly shows up. And Asaph says, no, 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 hang on a minute. Um, I'm the older of the twins, and I'm the one who needs to be buried here, and not 
my younger brother Yaakov. And um, the Yaakov's son said, well, you sold your birthright to our father, and therefore he's the one who deserves to get buried over here. And Esau says, show me where's the birthright that I sold. And uh, the um, it, they had left it behind in Mitzrayim. So um, the Naphtali, who was very, very fast, he was the quickest of all of Yaakov's sons, he says, okay, I'll run back to Mitzrayim and bring the deed of the, the sale of the birthright. And while all of this is happening, Chushim, who was the son of Dan, um, who was Yaakov's grandson, he saw what was going on, and he took a sword and cut off Esau's head, and Esau's head rolled into the cave of Machpelah. And so Esau's head is over there. So says the Goan that the seventh time that it mentions the burial, and it changes the order of the Esmeisecha Kebor, so it says, am I dead, I'll bury. So that's referring to Esau's head. Because Esau... He was an individual. Why is Meisecha first, the dead first? Because Esav was a person who was completely engaged in the physical material world. And he uh, spurned the Bechorah, the birthright. And he didn't want anything to do with spirituality and with his holy responsibility as being the firstborn and with this divine mission that his grandparents and parents had dedicated their lives to. Esav rebelled against it. And he was a person whose life was completely... Uh, involved in indulgence of the physical. And so we say, that our sages teach us, that a person who's only operating on a physical plane, so they really dead when they're alive. Because real life, as we mentioned earlier, is the neshama, is the soul. And we that's our eternal being. And when we are connected to our soul, and when our soul is dominant, so we live a real life. But when our soul is completely drowned out and completely overwhelmed by the body and uh, and suffocated by the strength of the body. The, the soul has very little voice and very little breath. It can't breathe with the body being so dominant as it was in the case of Esau. So such an individual, we call such a person dead when they're alive. That Roshayim or Mesim B'chayahem. They're really dead in their life because it's just a physical existence of the body and there's no life to the soul. And says the Goan, that's what this, the, the seventh time that it's mentioned, I'll bury my dead, it says, it mentions dead first. First, the dead I'll bury. Because Esau's dead when he's alive in this world. Um, isn't that incredibly powerful and brilliant? And so we see this is just an example that the Torah is so rich and so deep. The Torah is written by God. It's God's book. And so it's not just a, you know, a newspaper or a novel or a website that you're reading. When you read the Torah, you're reading the Word of God and the depth and the meaning and the significance of every word and of every letter is infinite because it comes from the Creator of the universe. And this is such an example, such a very powerful example of that concept. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. To end off, I just wanted to share with you one more beautiful and powerful idea. Since we mentioned Esav and the burial of Esav in Marat HaMachpelah, together with the um, other four couples that are there, um, Esav's head. So it's very interesting to note that Esav did sell the Bechorah. He sold the birthright to Yaakov. And um, 
the next week's Pasha, Pasha has told us, the Torah tells us about what happened over there. It says that Asab returns from the field, and it says that he was ayef, he was tired. And he sees Yaakov, and Yaakov is cooking this lentil soup, and he says to Yaakov, Haliteni na mina adom a adom azeh, give me from this red, this red stuff, um, and that's why it says, Alken karshmo Esav. He says, cause ki ayef anohi, cause I'm very tired, um, Alken karshmo Edom. And therefore he's called Edom. He's called red because of that red, uh, porridge, that red lentil soup that he asked for. And the Swano says an amazing thing. Swano says, um, that he was so, so tired, Esav, that he couldn't even call it what it was, lentil soup. He just said that red stuff. That's how tired he was. That's ayef. And the Ramban says about Esav, a very, after Esav sells the Bukhara, the Ramban, the holy and um, incredible Ramban writes, and he says the following. He says, um, the Zul Sibas Bizoy HaBukhara, this is the reason why Esav spurns the Bukhara, ki ein chafetz b'ksilim, rak sheyoichlu v'yishtu v'yasu chafetzam b'itam. Because the desire of the ksilim of the fools is to eat and to drink and to fulfill their physical desires in the here and now, and they are not concerned about tomorrow, not concerned about what tomorrow will bring. And this ayef that the Torah is talking about is telling us it's not a physical exhaustion, a physical tiredness. It's a spiritual exhaustion. It's an opting out spiritually. Um, what does that mean? Because the the nature of the physical world is as such that it deteriorates, it weakens. Everything in the physical world weakens and ultimately fades away. But wh- that's when you are connecting and linked in to a physical um, existence on a physical dimension. But when you go beyond the physical dimension and when you reach out to the world of ruchnis of spirituality, so there's no weakening, there's no deterioration. There's no tiredness. When the Torah tells us twice, the Torah says Asaph's tired, and, it, and and then Asaph himself says I'm tired. So that's referring to his const, his his um, indulgence and his fixation in the physical material world, and therefore he's tired because the physical world wears out, and he has no capacity and no desire to live a life that's connected to spirituality. To be in spiritual mode. He's in physical mode and that's the only dimension upon which he operates. But he has no connection to spiritual mode. And that's what the eye of the Torah telling us. We see it also with the Gospel of Amalek. At Amalek, in Pashat Kisaitse, it says that when did Amalek attack the Jewish people? It says when they were eye when they were exhausted, they were tired. It means spiritually. It means when we are not connecting spiritually, so then we get tired. The tiredness is indicative of our um, operating only in a physical and material sphere. So the Torah tells us that's Esav. And that's why Esav's head is in Machpelah. So we might say, you know, you could ex- some people explain what Esav said because his head was good, his head was right, but his body wasn't on the level that it should have been. And that's why only his head was there, not his body. That's not, the, the Pshat is much deeper than that. The Pshat is the reason why his head was there is because he's buried the way he lived. How did he live? He lived with his head detached from his body. His existence was just a physical existence. And therefore the way he died and the way he was buried was in the same way, was with his head detached from his body because there was no 
resonance. There was no connection between the two. And so the Torah is telling us that the role of a Jew in this world is to not be in physical mode, but to be in spiritual mode. Not to be IF, to be tired. You know, you meet those people and how are you doing? I'm tired. How's your family? I'm, well, they're okay, but I'm tired. How was Shabbos? I'm so tired. How's work? I'm so tired. Because they only operating in the physical zone. But our job is to rise above that, is to connect to our godly soul, as we mentioned earlier, that spark of the divine that's within all of us. And then we don't get weaker. And then we don't wane. We only get stronger and more powerful and more connected to spirituality. And that's the opposite of Esav. And that's the existence of Yaakov and the descendants of Yaakov. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.